Well, good morning once again. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms that are out here in the room. Thanks for spending uh, your special day with us. And uh, we've got some exciting things uh, in our service. We're doing a child dedication in just a few moments. And, and so it's great to see so many moms here. Some of you have been moms for a few weeks, some uh, for a few years, some for some decades. And so we have a wide variety. We even have some moms... Some recent moms from our church, uh, just a few hours, I think. And so it's been really an exciting time of uh, a, lot of, a lot of little ones around here at our church. And so a happy Mother's Day. Moms, you, you carry a, a challenging task. Uh, you, you, you clean up a lot of messes and you uh, wipe a lot of noses and you wash a lot of hands and you shed tears, you pray prayers. Uh, and so we really, really appreciate the investment that you make in, in, in the lives of your families. Uh, godly mothers, add a, they add a sweetness to life that a man himself just can't create. Okay? There's a limitation that men have on being able to enrich life as a mom can do. And so uh, I, I'm often reminded of this, uh, just the, the way that a mom can, can help. Just yesterday I saw it again. Even I was trying to coach my uh, sons, or one of my sons at a wrestling tournament, and I was being a little extra hard and discouraging as as a coach father, which is hard to... I don't do a good job of walking that line, I think, honestly. I admit it. But uh, I was failing yesterday at that role of coach father, and uh, I was being more discouraging than anything. And uh, my wife happened to call. She was at a... Uh, a a wedding shower for someone special in our life, and and she called to see how how we were doing, how her son was, and and she could tell I was not being helpful, <laughs> and she she said, well, can I talk to to our son? So hand the phone, and she said the right things, and he kind of melted, and then I melted, <laughs> and realized I crossed the line, and I had to get it cleared up. So I, I cleared it up. But moms, you you add a, a sweetness to life that dads sometimes we we just miss. Guys, sometimes we just move past, brush past. And so we really we want to honor you today because of the sweetness you add. Uh, we hope that today you're, you have a refreshing day, an encouraging day. You might not have your mother here with you today, uh, but if you can, take the time uh, in the way that you know would be special and, and meaningful to esteem your mom and to lift her up. If you're able to do that, I want to encourage you to do that. Today we're also having a child dedication. And so the Bible gives us the Lord's perspective on children. Here's, here's God's perspective on children. Take a look. It says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. The children or children are a reward from Him. Children are actually a reward with responsibilities. Okay? It's a reward, but it costs some, some focus. It carries some responsibilities. And so... The responsibility is you've got to guide them to grow into becoming the right kind of person. Someone who fulfills God's purposes as they walk through life. And so this is why a child dedication is more than just, in our minds, it's a parent and child dedication. Because there's something going on for the children that are being dedicated, but there's also significant commitments being taken by the parents who are dedicating their children. So it is both a parent and a child dedication. So today, parents, you're making a commitment to raise your children in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Jesus Himself was even dedicated. And here's a passage of Scripture from the New Testament. It says, When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, they took Him to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. 
as is written in the law of the Lord. And so, this is a significant spiritual tradition that we're taking part in. We're going to do it in our own way, uh, but this is, a, this is an important thing. And so, I want to invite up the parents who are going to be dedicating uh, their children this morning, so you can go ahead and make your way to the front. And we're going to have, you know, the, the parents are going to come up here and just form a line. You're going to be facing uh, the congregation, and we're going to get a microphone for all of you. And you'll give, you know, you'll have a chance to introduce your, your children. I'm going to step up here in front of everyone. I think we're, we may be dedicating, what's the total? Today, 15. 15 total today. 15, 16. So we had a handful in the first service. Um, and then we have a handful again. And so these parents, they're making a commitment. Really, they're making this commitment before the Lord, but they're also making this commitment uh, before their church community. There's family members that's here as well. And if your family's not here, uh, we as your church family, we're here to support you. And so you're making this commitment to, to the Lord and to us uh, as your church community. I want to just kind of have uh, Taylor off to this side. Just go ahead and introduce yourselves and then introduce your child, okay? My name's Taylor. This is my wife, Lauren, and this is our son, Brody. All right, and then we're going to give it a moment because we've got some photos. I think we have photos. We have photos for all. And so we're going to just, yeah. So there's Brody up there. All right, and hey, just before we continue, um, you know, we got a lot of kids up here, so very likely this might get lively, potentially fussy, and so if you got a toy or a rattle to spare, if we need it, I'm going to ask you for it, and I'm going to come and bring it up here, okay? So, okay, you can pass the mic. Okay, so I'm Michael, this is my wife, Alex, and this is our daughter, Evelyn. Great. All right, take a look, everybody. Evelyn. <laughs> All right, I'm Ben, and this is my wife, Rachel, and this is our son, Silas. All right, hang tight. Hang tight for a moment. Let's all take in the photo. <laughs> Love it. Okay. I'm Sean, and this is my wife, Michelle, and this is our son, Noah. All right. You're up on the big screen, Noah. <laughs> I'm Taylor, my wife, Brittany, and our son, Crosby. <laughs> I'm Bryce. This is my wife Shelby and our son Levi. <laughs> Cute. I'm Alan. This is my wife Jenny, and this is our son Samuel. How old is Samuel? He's three weeks old. All right. I'm Trevor. That's my wife Angie. I'm holding Sadie. Should be two next month, and Hudson is was born in February. Aww. I'm Sean. This is Laura. This is our son Jax, and he will be four in August. All right, we got a photo. There he is. Jax, you're up on the big screen. Jax, check you out. <laughs> I'm John, this is my wife Whitney, and this is our daughter Farah. All right. All right. Since this is really a dedication, this is really a commitment to train your children 
uh, God's way. Let's take a look at how we do that. How, how does the Bible describe how we train our children? Here's a passage I want to look at. It's from Deuteronomy 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So that's everything within you. Love the Lord your God. That needs to be a, a priority. And then he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. So this is the starting point for raising and training your children is God's commands, God's Word. These have to get into our hearts first. So if we want to train them into our children, then it starts with us. It starts with us taking hold of God's Word, God's truth, getting into it for ourselves, and getting, getting our hearts and our minds engaged. It's got to get into our hearts. That's the starting point for training, okay? Now look at where it goes. It says in verse 7, Impress them, meaning the commandments of God, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You know, we don't often uh, walk along the road. There's not a lot of safe roads you can do that, and, you know, with your kids. I mean, sometimes you can, but typically, for, for, in Bible times, this would have been normal way of traveling, right? Up and down roads, there was, this was the way people travel. For us, we drive places most of the time. And so, one way to look at this passage here is there's three places where we want to buy up the opportunity with our children. Three things, okay, from this. One is drive time. One is meal time. And one is bedtime, okay? And so, buy up drive time, meal time, and bedtime to talk to your children through the years, even at a young, young age, about the things of God. Buy up those opportunities when you're driving down the road and you could just flip the radio on and just... You know, get some peace and quiet. I mean, there are times for that, right? We know that. There's sometimes that's the time they get put to sleep because it rocks them to sleep. But as they get older, engage with them when you're driving or when you're sitting down at mealtime. Engage with them. Talk with them about what God's doing in your lives. What's God doing in your family? And, and when you're putting them to bed as you, as you pray for them or maybe read something to them. Use these opportunities that, that we're given here and buy them up. The, the core of raising our kids God's way is to love God and center our lives around Him and His Word, the Bible. That, that's how we pull it off. If you're trying to figure out, how do I become a good parent? And there's books and seminars. The way to do it is you center your life around God and His Word. That's, that's how you do it. Uh, parents, you're, you're committing to keep growing in your walk with God and your understanding of God's Word. And so, from wherever you are today in your relationship with God, you're going to have to keep taking the next step forward and then the next step forward in your faith and then the next step one after another through the years of your life. From wherever you are today, you just keep taking the next step forward. This is actually, oftentimes, this is the missing piece of parenting training. We may look for books and solutions and answers from seminars, but this is often the missing piece in our understanding of what it means to parent our children God's way. The critical action is to keep taking the next step forward in your own walk with God. And that's, that's really what pleases Him. So that's the critical action. And in that way, you keep training through your example and then through your explanation. So through the years of your life, as long as the Lord allows you to be in this season of training your kids, you're exampling and then you're explaining through the years. You're exampling before them what it means to really walk with God and then... You're explaining why you did that and what happened when you did that. Or when you didn't do it. If the example you set was the wrong example, then you say, hey, Daddy set the wrong example. Let me explain the results of Dad's example on that. And in that way, exampling and explaining, that's how you train your kids. Uh, here's the clear command from Ephesians for Christian parents. Look at Ephesians 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
Instead, bring them up in the training and the, in the instruction of the Lord. So parents, in light of all this, I want to ask you to make a commitment to God and before our congregation to do all that you can to bring up your child in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So I want to ask you to repeat this commitment after me. It's going to be up here on the screen. But just repeat it after me, phrase by phrase. You'll want to supply your child's name when we get to that point. If, if you have a his, then say his. If you have a her, you say her. Okay, here we go. I recognize that my child belongs to God. The Lord has first claim on his or her life. I dedicate my child to the Lord. You say their name. I commit myself to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And for this, I ask the power of God. All right. Hey, let's, let's pray for them as parents. Father, we thank You for these parents. We praise You for the work You're doing in them and, and that You want to continue to do through them in the lives of their little ones. We praise You for um, this, this opportunity, this responsibility, this joy. We praise You for the challenges. Uh, because we know You're at work. You're growing us and You're growing these little ones. We pray for them right now. Would You protect them? And God, we pray You would plant seeds of, of light and of truth and of real life in the lives of these little ones. That at, at the point when You decide, Lord, that You would draw them to want to know You personally, that You would call them by name, one by one, and they would respond. As, even at, at an early age, we pray for these little ones to respond to You at a very early age, that they would yield to You as the Savior of their life, the, the Lord of, of their life, and that they would walk a journey that they, wouldn't, that they wouldn't veer away from, God. We pray for them. Protect them, God, from the traps of this world. Protect them from uh, distraction uh, along the way. Things that would take them off track of, of your purposes and your plans. God, I pray for these parents. Would you strengthen them? Help us as a church family to play our role of, of strength and support to all of them, Lord. That's going to be uh, something that's going to require all of us, God. As a church, we're... As we've grown, we just we pull together as a team, and so God help us to parent and to support parents as a team. We we take this as a congregation very seriously. So God help us to fulfill our part of our commitment to these parents, and then help them, God strengthen them to to do their role as parents towards their kids, Lord. We honor you, Lord, for the work you're doing in them and and through them, God. We praise you in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, I don't know. You feel free to take a photo if you'd like to. Um, you may have already been doing that, so it's probably hard to get a good shot from the from the whole. I think we got some from the back. So, all right, parents, you can be seated. All right. Today, what we're going to do is we're we're briefly going to launch into a new series of messages. And so we have a new series that we're starting today called TikTok. And as you see on your on your program there, you see the graphic on the front. We're talking about how to make the best use of our time in life. How do we make the best use of our time in life? Throughout the centuries, people have been discovering new ways to keep track of time. And why, why do we do that? Why are we so concerned with keeping track of time? Why do we keep it? Why do we, you know, know the time? It's, we want to, we want to see where we're at in relationship to what's going on in the world. We want to keep, you know, track of memories and history. But, uh, so this has always been 
something that we've tracked some ancient ways or some older ways of tracking time. So here's an old method of keeping track of time. This is called a candle clock. Uh, candles have evenly spaced lines on them would be marked with numbers for each hour. And so there would be a series of candles and it would help people tell time. And as the candle burns down, they would replace it, put another one, and they could keep time in this way. Uh, here's another. This is uh, more, you know, so a little later, this became a way of telling time. The sundial, the position of the sun casts a shadow on the dial and it indicates the time. You've probably seen a sundial. I don't know if you've been able to read it. I haven't. <laughs> I've seen them. I've always been confused about how they work. But um, the hourglass is another one. Another way of telling time. And then as technology has progressed, clocks have evolved and some real groundbreaking began with how we track time. And so you have things like watches and you have something even, you know, really modern, a calculator watch. Who, who had a calculator watch? If you got it on, just wear it proudly. You can throw it up in the air. You can actually track time and you can do math at the same time. You know what I mean? Help yourself out in school, you know? Uh, then you have like the world map clock. You can not only track your time, you can track other people's time in other parts of the world. And you know, in the 80s, this would have been the coolest gift ever, you know, wouldn't it? <laughs> There's never been as many ways to track time as there are today. There's all sorts of apps now and all sorts of devices for time tracking. And so here's, here's you know, a very new thing is the Apple. It's not new as of yesterday, but, you know, newer. The Apple Watch, you know, assists you in everything. Notifications, communication, health, apps. And then don't forget, it'll tell you the time as well. So, it can actually tell time. <laughs> Starting at just 270 I think. $270. So. Now, isn't it more important to know what to spend your time on than just knowing what time it is? We get, we get wrapped up in time, telling time and watches and different things. But it's more important to know, you know... What to do with your time. How to spend your life. This is actually where we need the help in life. None of us, it's because none of us want to waste our lives. None of us want to waste our time. We actually need help determining what to do with it. And that's really the goal of this series. What's, you know, we're going to build off this main idea. You see this at the top of this sheet. This is a listening guide you see in your program. We're going to build on this idea through uh, the next few weeks. But we make the most of our time by fulfilling God's purposes, or by serving God's purposes on earth. This is really what, what we're going to focus in on. Look at Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians. We see Paul writing this to the church. He, he writes, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The, the idea of looking carefully, if you back up to verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. The idea here is to walk exactly. Okay. The Greek language, where, where this is written in Greek, the word that's used here, it has to do with a, an exact walk. Like a precise walk. Like if you were a tightrope walker, if you were an acrobat, it requires perfect, precise footsteps. You have to walk exactly. You can't get sloppy if you're an acrobat. You lose your job. More than that, you probably lose more than that, you know. So you've got to walk exactly. That's what Paul's saying. Our time is short. Walk exactly. To live haphazardly is to live unwisely. And if we just live life without 
any consideration, then we could end up in a destination where we did not want to go. We didn't, we didn't want to get there, but here we are. And this verse also tells us to make the best use of the time. The idea here of making the best use of, of time, it, it, it's that opportunities matter. We tell time like with hours and minutes and seconds, days, months. God tells time through opportunities. Opportunity after opportunity. And our time on earth is measured by how we respond to the opportunities of life. That's how God wants us to tell time. It's not just about the days passing. He wants to, 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 to reflect on and to buy up the opportunities that He gives us. Sometimes you, you recognize, wow, it's been a few days since the opportunity. But then you recognize, we're, we're at a key moment in time. You're not talking about seconds. You're talking about an opportunity that God has has brought about in your life. And how you respond to the opportunity will define destinations. Now look at the message. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible and the, the author of the message, he took the Scripture and he paraphrased it in a very modern language. I want to look at the same set of verses in the message. It says this. It brings these thoughts together pretty nicely. It says, So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. We, we can get so sidetracked by all sorts of things. And if we're not careful, we might miss out on God's purposes for life. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the stories of some people in the Bible who served, who served God's purposes well in their lifetimes. They served God's purposes well over the course of their life. None of these people that we're going to look at are perfect people. And so don't, sometimes we think, oh, the Bible character, they could never live up to them because of their lives. These people actually made mistakes, the ones we're going to look at. These are people who give us a great picture of how gracious God is to work with us despite our flaws, despite our mistakes. And so, uh, just heads up, we're not going to be using this series to look at key time management principles. Um, there's seminars for that. You know, occasionally I might share something like that, but honestly, we're not going to do that, so you can do that on your own time. What we're going to do is, our goal for this series is to, is to see the response of these people to God's work in their life you know, that allowed them to keep serving God's purposes through their lifetimes. We're going to look at their responses to the opportunities that God brought and then apply that to our own lives. We, the reason is because we only have so many years to live. Look at Psalm 90, verse 10. We're going to look at this verse in the context of it next week, the passage, Psalm 90. It's actually attributed to Moses, but we find it in the Psalms. It says this, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. If you were to Google search what's an average lifespan, it falls between these marks, 70 and 80, today. Moses was like right on. Wow. But, you know, this is a general statement. You know, we know not everybody lives to be 70. Not everybody lives to be 80. If you happen to live to be 70 or have the strength to live to be 80, we don't want to waste the years of our life. God wants to help us avoid the life wasters that threaten to derail us from His purposes. And there there are several life wasters that we're going to address through this series. So the first one I want to look at briefly today is the life waster of fear. Okay? The life waster of fear. Fear does this. You see this in your listening guide. Fear keeps us from serving God's purposes. Fear keeps us from serving God's purposes. We see this in the life of this woman we're going to look at. Uh, Her name is Sarah. Fear threatened to rob Sarah 
of living out God's purposes in life. Sarah was the wife of a man named Abraham, and they were a couple, Abraham and Sarah were a couple who God chose to build the nation of Israel through, and God's intent through Abraham and Sarah was to bless the whole world through them and through their family line. Okay, If you know the story, God makes this huge promise. And so their story begins as, as God gives a promise to Abraham as they're traveling across the desert to the land of Canaan. As they're traveling towards this land, they get this promise from God. Here's the promise. It's Genesis 12, verse 2. Abraham receives this from God. God says to him, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's making a huge promise here, right? To this man Abraham. Now the interesting thing about it is that Abraham and Sarah... uh, Sarah was Abraham's only wife at this point. Okay, It was his only wife. She had no children. And as they're traveling through the desert as nomads, Sarah's biological clock was... More than ticking, okay? It was more than ticking. It was well past the age of having kids. When they received this promise from God, when God says, you know, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you into a great nation, they have no children. At this point, Abraham is 75 years old when he gets this promise from God. And his wife Sarah is 65 years old, okay? 75 and 65. And throughout their travels in the desert, God kept reminding them of this promise. And so at one point, they're camped out in a place, and this is what God says to them. This is Genesis 13, next chapter. 13, verse 16 says, God says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. He's saying, you're going to have you know, innumerable offspring and descendants. Now, the Lord gives this promise again in, in Genesis 15. So speed up a couple more chapters. And I'm sure as, as Abraham is reflecting and Sarah is reflecting on what God is saying to them, he and Sarah, they're trying to figure out, now, how is God going to pull this off? You know, I'm, I'm 75 and Sarah, you're 65. How is God going to pull this off? We're well past the normal age of bearing kids. And so at one point, Abraham, he gets into a conversation with God and he says, God, uh, maybe you're going to do this through a servant. Maybe, maybe that's what you're going to do. You're going to do this through one of my servants. And maybe the heir, the heirs of my servants. Is that how you're going to do this, God? And then this is God's response. Genesis 15, verses 4 and 5. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. He's saying, look, not, not your servant. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. He leads him out of his tent and he says, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he just keeps reinforcing this promise. Look, I want you to live for something greater. I'm going to bless the whole world through your life. Trust me. Look out. See all the stars? Imagine going into the desert and looking up at the stars. If you've ever done that, it's just amazing how many stars there are. We live in the city. The lights, we can't see the stars very well. When you get out of the city and you're in the desert, it's just amazing. Just the vast array of stars. This is what Abraham is taking in. God says, if you can count them, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to bless the, the families of the earth through your life. Now, this is all happening to Abraham and Sarah in the middle of their lives. We're, we're reading the middle of their story. They didn't know how this was going to turn out. And so what this is, is I call this the waiting room. They are stuck in the waiting room. Have you ever been in the waiting room? Literally? You're waiting for someone to come out of surgery. 
agonizing. I had a surgery last fall. It it wasn't a major thing, but still, like you're signing release forms, you're aware of the risks, you're wondering, will I wake up? <laughs> you're nervous. I remember like getting really nervous, and like, and then the surgeon came in, and he's like, "Hey, you're you're going to be fine. You're not going to remember." And then I don't remember anything after that. And then <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm like waking up and coming out of the fog, and and it's when you're waiting, you're you're just. All sorts of emotions. And if you're sitting in the waiting room, if, you, if, if your friend is, is in surgery and you're in the waiting room, if your spouse, your child is in the waiting room, it's agonizing. And I sat with some families and individuals, some people from our church through some painstaking ordeals through the years. And, and everyone's just sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And so Abraham's response to God's promise in the waiting room is this. Look at Abraham's response because he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. After God says, no, it's through your son I'm going to give these, this, this blessing through your own heir. Abraham says, God, I trust you. So here's his response. He, Abraham, believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. He trusted Him. And he counted it, God counted it to him as righteous. As righteousness. So in the waiting room, Abraham trusted God to come through on his promise. And we can do the same thing. We can do this. And flip to the back of your listening guide. We can, we can choose faith in God and in his promises in the midst of fear and in the midst of waiting. We can choose faith. And you're going to have to choose faith over and over again, won't you? And so many of you have seen this come to pass where you're stuck in the waiting room and you just don't know how this is going to work out. And the, for us, looking at Sarah and Abraham, we can kind of detach ourselves from the emotion of their story because we're, we're reading this looking back at their story from the end. We find out the end of the story, but they're in the middle of it. And, and for example, we can find out in, in Hebrews 11.11, 11, you know, what happened with Sarah? We can, we can actually keep reading on in Genesis and see what happened with Sarah and how God kept that promise to her and allowed them to have a son named Isaac. And you can read through that story. It's a powerful story. You can read from about chapter 12 to about chapter 22 and see what God is doing through this, through this family and the faith that that required. But the writer of Hebrews, the New Testament writer, he looks back at Sarah and he, he illustrates people of faith by supplying her name in a list of you know, heroic people of, of our faith, people who walked by faith. And he said, Sarah was one of the heroes of our faith. Look at what she did. And he sums it up. The writer of Hebrews writes about her, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. This explains why God chose him to be the people whom he would make a great nation. Many nations, to be exact, would come through this, this family and, and God's blessing would be upon several people groups and nations through Abraham and Sarah. And as God scanned the population of the earth, God chose people to work through and He chose this married couple who had faith, who would trust God completely. And for Abraham and Sarah, faith, choosing faith, was the key to serving God's purpose in their generation. If they want to know how to make the best use of their time, they, just, they have to just keep choosing faith, Sarah especially. Going back to this waiting room idea, you may find yourself right now somewhere in the waiting room. Something going on in your life and you're just waiting on God to work. 
I don't know what that is for you. I have things in my life that I, I feel like I'm in the waiting room. I'm just asking God for His help. I'm asking God to see us through this season. And you might be there. You might be a husband or a wife and you're in the waiting room for some, for some reason. Or maybe you have an illness that you're, you're dealing with. You're not sure whether or not it is going to ever come to an end or if you'll ever be healed from it or not. You're, or maybe stuff at work and you're just you're working on something and the whole success of the company is tied up in you accomplishing this task. And if you fail, there's a lot at stake. And so you're, you're in the waiting room. You're not sure how it's going to play out. Some of you are parents. And you're, you're just not sure how that's going to play out. We had all these parents up here, both services, and you're in the waiting room for a long time. You're, you're parenting and you're like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And, and you really don't. You're in the waiting room constantly in life. And in all these types of scenario, fear can either paralyze you or it can drive you to come up with a solution for the circumstances. And in Sarah's case, Sarah panicked at one point when God wasn't keeping His promise. God, you're not keeping your promise. I'm stuck in here. I, I'm going to help you out, God. And so she came up with her own plan. She devised a plan. And this is where we see God's grace at work in, in her life. She wasn't perfect by far. And so, after many years of waiting for God to keep this promise of a, of a child, Sarah devised a plan for her husband Abraham to sleep with her servant Hagar so that, so that Abraham would have a child. Abraham, being a guy, he's okay with the plan and, and moves forward with, with this plan and... and child is born named Ishmael. This whole issue of Sarah stepping out because of her fear, this was driven by fear, not faith. And it turned into a disaster that the world is still dealing with. The world is still dealing with the consequences of that choice. There's still conflict between the sons of, of, of Hagar and the sons of Sarah. You know, the, the descendants, the clash... If you think about all the conflict between Palestinians and the Jews, this is where that originated from. And she's driven by fear. And God wanted her to just wait and trust Him. Make a note. Uh, God is gracious. God is still at work. God is still working. If you trust God, God, they, they knew once they crossed that line that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's intention. If you trust God, God will serve His purposes through your life in spite of your fears, in spite of your flaws. And if you're going to serve God's purpose during your generation for the benefit of the next generation and the next generation, then you have to choose faith just like Sarah did. She chose to get back in line with the Lord. Abraham chose to get back in line and start, you know, hey, we're going to, we're going to wait on God. Look again what was said of Sarah. Again, Hebrews 11.11, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. Eventually God allowed her to conceive. She got pregnant. Even she was past the age, but she was given the power to deliver this child, Isaac, who God would then fulfill His promise through. But it says this, She did this since she considered Him faithful. Sarah considered God faithful, the one who had promised. The word translated considered here in the Greek, it actually means to lead or to command. So what what it's saying is that she 
led her own mind to consider God is going to keep His promise. She, we have to keep directing our mind. We have to keep leading and commanding our mind to get back in line with the truth that we know. We have fears come up, it paralyzes us. Or it gets us to come up with our own plan Bs like she did. She had to lead her mind to say, God, you're faithful. You're going to keep your promise. And think about all the times when you're in the waiting room and you have to redirect your mind and lead it and command your mind. No, we're not going there. We're going to stay locked on to God's promises and we're going to wait. We're going to put our hope in Him. And this is how we continue to serve God's purposes while we're waiting. So if you're in the waiting room right now, and I'm sure I know many of you are, lead your mind. Lead your mind to focus on the faithfulness of God, to keep His promises to you, and to give yourself, really, today and tomorrow, to do and to say what God wants you to do, and to say what God wants you to say, and live out the things God wants you to do while you're waiting in the waiting room. You're waiting for the outcome. Don't move ahead. If God's saying, hey, you're in this, I'm with you. Trust me. Just as Abraham believed God and trusted Him, you can do the same. I want to wrap up this morning's message by just asking you to consider what is it that God is saying to you? Where are you in the waiting room? Where do you need to trust Him? Jot down some things for yourself on your listening guide and maybe take a note. And that way this week you wouldn't just tuck this away and go on with your life. And I mean, it could be a day of busyness and celebrations, but I encourage you, jot some things down if God's spoken to you and go back to that this week as you consider where you're in the waiting room and what God is saying to you to do in response to to His Word. So let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your truths. Thank You for Your Word and the help that we get in life if we keep returning to You. God, if if we wander off and we just try to chart our own course in life, we don't find the help that we need. But God, Your Word is true. It is eternal. And so God, we can look to You for all the answers, for all the help we need. There's nothing going on in our, in our world, in our lives, that you uh, is out of your control or is catching you off guard. So God, help us to, to center back to you right now in our thoughts, with our emotions. God, in the depths of our heart, I pray we would lead our hearts and our minds to be faithful to you and to trust you, God. Strengthen us, God, today. We continue to just thank you, Lord, for the moms in our lives. We pray that today really would refresh and encourage them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.